Welcome to the 94th episode of the Young Turfs Podcast from the Viner Forgate Studio. This is your host, Mason Viner. And your co-host, Jordan Viner. And on today's podcast, we're talking Maryland's loss at Michigan. And we have a long non-rev rundown as has started. But before we get into all that, this podcast is brought to you by Allied Party Rentals, your hometown Terrapin Party Rental resource. Allied has what you need, whether you're hosting a large wedding, putting together a small luncheon, or setting up a street festival. Allied has the tents, chairs, linens, china, and other accessories that you are looking for. Wayne from Turf Talk has known Donnie at Allied since 1995. Located right next to College Park in Beltsville, Maryland, and serving the entire DMV, contact Allied today for a free no obligation quote at 301-986-0067 or visit them at alliedpartyrentals.com. Jordan, now for the Terrapin Rundown. Off as always, the Lady Terps split this week. They hammered Nebraska at home 89-63 on Thursday, but then lost on the road at number 14 Iowa 73-86 in front of a 10,000-plus crowd at Carver-Hawkeye. And Kayla Charles, one of the best players in the country for the Lady Terps, was held to only two points in Iowa. Yeah, Iowa's a good team this year, competing, of course, in the Big Ten, which always has some good teams. Uh, the team will next host Minnesota at 7 on Thursday. That game's on BTN+. And speaking of Kayla Charles, she continued her award success this season as she was named the Cheryl Miller to the Cheryl Miller Award watch list, and that is the best small forward in women's basketball Maryland Wrestling has finally won a match this season. They won today 26-12 against George Mason. They are now 1-11 on the season and will take on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights on Friday at Xfinity Center. Um, going through some other teams here, Gymnastics lost in Minneapolis to number 16 Minnesota on Friday, 195.325 to 196.850. They will next compete in the Elevate the Stage match in Toledo. Moving right along here, tennis seems to have entered a bit of a skid as they have lost their third straight match, this one against Old Dominion, 0-4 to again. They are currently in Newark, Delaware, facing Delaware. Yeah, um, I don't really know much about the tennis team, but, you know, losing is never good for any of the teams. Um, men's golf will compete against Purdue in the Puerto Rico Classic as we speak. Women's golf is also competing right now. They're competing in the Moon Golf Invitational in Florida. Softball went an impressive 4-1 and in the Houston Classic over the weekend, defeating Nichols State, Houston, University of Louisiana, Monroe, and Nevada. They also lost to Houston. So, good start to the season for the softball squad. Yeah, surprisingly well. Softball, as we discussed last week, has always been considered one of the weaker Maryland programs. They will next compete in the Amy S. Harrison Classic out in Riverside, California. Excuse me. They will play Portland State, UC Riverside twice, and UNLV. Baseball had a rough start to their season as they went 1-2 this weekend down in Conway, South Carolina, losing to Campbell and Coastal Carolina before defeating VCU today 5-3. The number two ranked women's lacrosse team won a huge game at number four Florida uh, 17-12. On Thursday, they do not play till next Sunday against number three North Carolina. And to finish it off, we have our men's lacrosse squad who run another nail biter at Penn, thirteen to twelve in overtime. 
Um, if you haven't got a chance to see it yet, there was a great save by the Maryland uh, goalkeeper, Danny Dolan, at the end of regulation to send this game to overtime. You can see that on um, Maryland Lacrosse's Twitter page. There were just some really back-and-forth moments of this game. Penn started off strong. Maryland then battled back. But really just a solid performance. Really, I don't really want to call it a solid performance. Another good win for this Maryland lacrosse team, con continuing to learn how to handle the end-of-the-game situations and the game winner. And this game came from Roman Puglisi, who is generally a defensive midfielder but made the run on offense. And just like that, Maryland is now 3-0 and on their season. Yep, they will play Colgate next at College Park. That game is on Tuesday at 5. Yeah. Couldn't be a worse time for uh, no. college lacrosse out here in the DMV. Colgate beat Syracuse earlier this season. They should pose another challenging opponent to our men's lacrosse team. But got to hate the Tuesday at 5, but Maryland lacrosse has a few about, you know, one or two of these games at five every year early in the season. But uh should be out there or the Terp some of the Terp Talks Terp Talk squad will definitely be out at Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium for that game on Tuesday. Well the next one after that is the kind of one I'm kinda of interested in, which is at Navy on Saturday at noon. You're gonna head out to that one too, I assume? Uh no. No, I will not be heading out to that one because there was a Maryland men's basketball game at Xfinity Center at uh, 2 o'clock against Ohio State next Saturday. Yeah, and speaking of Maryland men's basketball, let's uh, go ahead. Actually, there's one more thing. One more thing for the Terrapin Rundown, which is we've seen two Mike Loxley bat signals, as they are called, on Twitter today, meeting Maryland football has added two new guys that no one knows the names of. That is, I suppose, a good thing. Um, hopefully the class gets some more additions before it wraps up recruiting because despite how well things have gone recently, we're still a bit short on you know actual manpower here. Yeah, and those um, players, there are some rumors. Um, one of the larger ones is that there are two guys from Virginia Tech, uh, one of them being a defensive end that was d dismissed from the team earlier this season, and the other one being quarterback, um, forget his first name, Jackson, number 17 for the Hokies. Is it Josh Jackson? I think it is Josh Jackson. Well, if they do land Jackson, that would be a huge get, obviously, and throw even more drama into our quarterback discussions. But for now, let's just put a pin in that because we don't know anything for sure yet. Yeah, there's not much um, certain about these two. It could have also been a host of guys, and yes, it is Josh Jackson. A host of guys that Michael Oxley, ironically, hosted this uh, weekend in College Park. A lot of 2020 guys from DeMatha. I know there were a few guys from New Jersey, some four-stars from up there uh, that came down to College Park this weekend. It's just recruiting never stops in these sports, and really in any college sport, coaches are always out there recruiting. It's just such a um, year-round thing, especially when you have a guy that's as good as Michael Oxley. All right. Well, I think it's time to move on to basketball, where Maryland played in Ann Arbor against the Michigan Wolverines on Fox nationally broadcast. And it went... Could have gone worse. Let's put it like that. You know, when people say it could have been worse, 
with the Maryland basketball team. I always think to myself, what is what is the standard of Maryland basketball? Or really specifically, what is the standard of this team? What what do I hold the hundredth edition of Maryland basketball to? The answer that to is- that I find myself thinking well, the larger answer, yes, Jordan, I know what you're going to go on, is very complicated. There's not much, I mean, there is large expectations with Maryland basketball that Maryland might necessarily not have the history to live up to have those standards as what your expectations are. With this current team, the 100th season squad, I think they should be able to win a road game against a ranked team. I think they should have been able to win this game. But I can't, and I was talking to you, Jordan, about this earlier, I can't necessarily pinpoint why I would expect them to win this game, but for some reason, I just do. Okay, so this reminds me of a discussion that I had with Wayne in 2017. That 2016-2017 squad was the one with Melo Trimble in his junior season and Anthony Towns as a freshman, where... We weren't sure what to expect going into the season. Just because we had a lot of unknowns. No one really knew how good Justin Jackson was, for example. No one knew what Anthony Cowan, how, how well he'd adapt, considering he's, you know, 5'10". Or six feet unofficially. Or, excuse me, officially six feet. But then we started winning. And we got to, like, number 17 or 18 that season. I'll double-check where we actually got to. But the point was... Yeah, we then they ranked. played a game against Nebraska... And they were up by like 20, and they lost it, and then they just started trending down. Exactly. And I remember at some point during our late-season skid that season, I asked him. I wasn't too upset about it, personally, because I didn't have expectations going into the season for this team. I didn't think we were going to be good at all. But I remember the general vibe of the fan base was very displeased. Oh, I got that right. Actually, Maryland peaked at 17 that season. But anyway, the vibe was very displeased. People weren't happy. And I remember asking him why, because we weren't ever supposed to be that good. And he said, yeah, that's true, but we saw that we could be that good. And we saw that there was real potential to win games that year and go somewhere. And we ended up losing the first round of Xavier. Mm -hmm. So I think the reason that we're so high on this team is because this team is packed to the core with potential. And yep. a lot of that potential is unrealized so far. We we know Aaron Wiggins is right now maybe like, in my opinion, he's like half of what he could be. He needs to flesh out his dribble and drive. Dribble, drive, and defense. That's a good example. And we've seen the potential show through when we were like at number 12 and played Michigan State. And it's hard for us to moderate our expectations when we know how good this team could be. But right now, I think, I honestly think 24 is about where they should be. Okay. I see why you say that. But I also see why, I mean, there are some obvious things you can be upset about. For example, Jalen Smith not really going up necessarily strong with the basketball or the Cowan layup where he tried to be fancy and he missed or you know there are definitely things you can say why is this happening and a lot of that falls 
to be straight up, not to put any of my personal feelings into this, it falls on the coaching. There's really no other person that you can say is really involved with those specific things. Just looking at this game, you look at who sets this up, who sets the rules, who sets the disciplines of a basketball team, and it's the coach. Jordan, I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, college basketball has changed. It's not anymore what it could be in a few years. It is a what-can-you-do-for-me-now kind of sport. The one-and-done has changed the game. We're not Michigan. We don't have seniors, really. We don't have, you know, the long-term guys like Tennessee who has uh, seniors and they're one of the oldest teams in the country. And it makes sense that they've developed beyond every almost every other team in college basketball with these older guys. That just the mere fact that they have seniors has made them almost the number one or they were the number one team in the country because they had old guys. It's not necessarily what this team's going to look like in three years. It is a what-can-you-do-for-me-right-now kind of sport, which I personally think has ruined college basketball. I, I don't mind it, really, but as a general rule, it's not true. That's the thing a lot of people don't realize. But at the it level is, that Maryland basketball, I'm not going to say is played at, but should be played at in the eyes of the fans, in the say, in the sense of the stadium size, um, in the sense of the history, in the sense of what recently has gone on, and the fact that we have a coach that is supposed to be this great recruiter, it should be for Maryland played in that way. That is still not really true, because if you look at the broader scope of college basketball, and this debate is, I don't know if it's actually relevant to what we're talking about today, but if you look at the broader scope of college basketball, you can only name three or four programs that actually run on one and done. And I can name them. It's Kentucky, Duke, and occasionally you get someone like Michigan State or Indiana who just gets a bunch in one class. Can you really name more than two programs that consistently run one and does? No. You can't name programs that are run. I don't even I almost don't want to even say Duke is run on one and duns. Because if you look oh. at it, but because if you look at it at the end of the day, I think Kentucky is the only team where you can say, look at the guys who, you know, that Duke or Kentucky does not have Grayson Allen. Or um, some of the other guys that Duke's had, you know, their classic star player that might not be the best guy on the team in the sense of the NBA or in the sense of. Pure even talent pure talent or skill or athleticism, but that's the guy that they point to and say, you're the guy that's going to take this shot. You are right in that sense. But Maryland, I am tempted to say, is different than that. If you look at the Mark Turgeon success over the time, there has not been a team that you can look at the consistent guys and say they've been there for more than one year. You had Trimble and Wells, and then Wells was gone. And you had um, Diamond Stone and Robert Carter and Rashid Suleiman, and then those guys were gone. And then you had a guy like Justin Jackson who tried, who did, or Mello. Mello was gone, and Jackson got injured. And now Kevin Herter is gone, and you have these guys who also have injected a bunch of freshmen into it. 
So yes, there are the consistents. There's Mello, there's Anthony Cowan, and even Bruno Fernando in his second year almost fits into that category. So Maryland kind of is a one-and-done team because of your Sean Obies, your Rashad Pax, your um, Robert Carter and Rashid Suleiman's. Maryland has kind of turned themselves into almost not the freshman one-and-done, but a different kind of one-and-done scenario. I understand what you're trying to say. I might not totally agree with it, but I do understand what you're trying to say in that we kind of lack consistency in a strain, in a weird way, though. We don't match up with many other programs in that regard. And I think what we started with here is did, should we have expected to win this game? And how should we look at it now? And I, it's, just, it's really hard for me to be disappointed because I didn't expect to win this game. I didn't really expect to win this game. I thought that this, or one of these next two games, Michigan and Iowa, as I said, I think, in the last podcast, was one of these two games was where Turgeon was going to beat a ranked team on the road. There was a point in this game where I thought Maryland was going to win. When they were pushing it in the second half, even when in the first half Michigan couldn't slam that door, it kind of looked to me like Maryland was going to have at least a chance to win. I'm talking within one basket, which I don't think. It might have gotten inside one basket once in the game in that second half. But regardless, yeah, there was a time during this game that I thought Maryland should win or that I thought they were going to win. Maybe not that they should have been able to. But no, the answer is that I don't think Maryland should we should be expecting Maryland to win this game. It's just the way things pan out a lot of the times in these games against top-tier teams on the road and at home, it just frustrates you to the point where you're like, we should be able to win these games. It's just the way Maryland plays these games, you're right, that makes you think, oh, man, we should have won this. We had a good chance. I think that's a good leaping point as any to really get into it. There... We can just start with the play. There was that play where Anthony Cowan beat everybody in the basket. It, it was like if in football, he beat the safety, he outran everybody, he was wide open with a lane to the basket to cut to three points. And he dropped and, the ball before he got into the end zone. Yes, he dropped the ball before he got into the end zone. He missed the layup, and then Michigan runs it back for a free and the other end, and that was kind of the game. I won't point to that minute and say it was the game. That moment. My bad. And say that was the game. I think the game actually went away when Maryland had a position where I think they shot four threes and none of them went in. There was a point in this game where Maryland missed... I'm talking about a possession where Maryland missed I know, four I know, threes. I know. I'm talking about that because on that possession they missed three threes and the next one they missed two threes and then Michigan hit a basket on the other side. And that was probably it. You're right. Yeah, well, there's really... Let's just talk about the overall play. The first half was awful. It was terrible basketball. It was what I stated in the last show when I said, if you go down, if you start like that on the road, it's going to be near impossible for you to win. Well, they started like that again on the road, and you saw what happened. It was a little bit worse than the Purdue start. But it was similar. It was, it was bad. It was bad. The, the fact 
that this game was not 40 to 18 just almost baffled me. Okay, at half, there are points in this half. At the 12 minute timeout, it was 4 to 16. 8 minute timeout, it was 8 to 23. The Terps' game plan just was steamrolled because it was steamrolled because Bruno was manhandled down low. And that has not happened so far, really, this season. And I think it totally blindsided everybody on Maryland. You're talking about the Maryland like, game plan. Game plan, coaches, players. I just think everybody just got shell-shocked by that. And it made us reevaluate everything. I will, again, say that I don't think you are correct in saying that Bruno Fernando was manhandled. You're partial. I, I do not know how on earth you can say you, otherwise. You are. Hold on. Hold on. I think that Maryland was out game plan. I'm not going to say out in-game coached, even though they probably were that too. I'm going to say Maryland was out game planned. A coach like John Beeline looked at Maryland and said, here's a look that they've never seen. Let's overextend our defense. And chase guys to Morsell and force them to go left or chase... Um, Lindo and just put pressure on them. Give them nothing open. Make it very hard for them to dump, dump the ball down low. Not pass, dump. Like they like to just lob it into Fernando when a team is playing a normal defense. You can just throw it up to the big man, right? Michigan got in Maryland's grill early in the game. And it forced bad catches for Fernando and bad posi positions to make the proper plays that he's usually able to make. Now, was... Bruno Fernando manhandled. In a way, yes. In a different way, a guy of the size of John Teske limited Fernando's abilities in a lot of ways. When does Bruno Fernando go up against a guy? I'm not saying, I'm not making excuses, I'm just stating points. Fernando does not go up against a guy of John Teske's size that's a legitimate center-sized person very often. Um... Michigan did a great job of out-efforting Maryland in the little things, the loose balls. There was a play where Fernando was running to the ball very slowly, and a Michigan guy just sprinted to the ball, just made the harder play, made the more effort. Maryland, I don't think, was ready to work against the defense like Michigan threw out there. That's just what I'm saying. I'm not really shooting down your point that Fernando was manhandled. I'm just saying Michigan did a lot of things different than Maryland was ready for or seen all year or whatever you want to, however you want to phrase that, Michigan just did it differently. I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong, and it actually isn't because that's what Michigan did. They extended their defense to the point where you couldn't, you had to make a play to get into the post, which we have not really seen this season other than we played Virginia, even they kind of limited that. And it made it hard for Bruno to get in position easily. Now, you're right. That does not excuse him by any stretch. Because if he really was the dominant superstar big man, which he is most of the time, but if he was in this game, then it wouldn't have been a problem. But it was, and it led to a lot of other problems. And in the first half, this is a mind-blowing stat, by the way. In the first half, Maryland had one player with more than two points. I'm sure you know who that is, Mason. I'm guessing that it was Jalen Smith. Yeah, he, he had six points, two for seven from the field. 
and was Maryland's basically only decent player looking at the stat sheet with six points and four rebounds. Really the only other player that's even worth mentioning in the first half is Ricky Lindo at six rebounds and two points. Other than that, Maryland was just a huge negative. They had, a, again, a really high number of turnovers with 13 in the first half, which really messed everything up. Things got a little bit better with Aaron Wiggins hitting a three, but, man, that first half was – it's a miracle we weren't winning, losing by the game by, like, 20 points. You're right. Yeah. Um, there's not much more to say about the first half. It's really bad by Maryland. You can look at – go back and – Watch the game if you want to, and you can just see just plays that Michigan was making. They're ready to go. Just more of what we've seen all year, but Michigan just handled it a little bit differently and a little bit more ready to go after their loss to Penn State. Let's talk about the second half. Maryland came out, made a strong push, really played very well. Got some big-time shots from Cowan, some shots from Aaron Wiggins. But at the end of the day, Michigan just came back every time Maryland really started to threaten and made another shot. Yeah, that's kind of the feeling that it was. In the first few minutes of the half, I mean, it felt like great for Maryland because they were scoring, but also Michigan was scoring as well, so it didn't matter that much. Uh, Wiggins had that great lob to Fernando, the one-handed dunk that stuck out. Um, 12-minute timeout, 34-40. Maryland got a little bit going. Sorrell Smith cut to three. And then Michigan, I think, got seven straight points. They just, Maryland could not sustain the stops they needed on defense to match with their offensive pushes. They just didn't, it was hard for them to do both at the same time. Yeah. Um, There's, from what you said, I'll go back to it. It did matter. I know what you're saying where it didn't matter because at the end, kind of the end of that run, Michigan was up back again by eight. But you got to look at the points where Maryland had it down to four, down to five points, and then Michigan came back and made some plays. It's really hard for me to say that the scoring spells of this game didn't really benefit Maryland, especially at the beginning of the second half. But just it just didn't happen. Michigan just played their game playing Michigan basketball and just making that one extra play, and Maryland had no counter. They had the opportunities, but they threw up bad shots. It was like rolling something up a hill, and right before it reaches the um, the words escaping me right now, it rolls right back down, and then you throw it up again, and right before it sees the other side of the hill, it just rolls right back down. Yeah, it, it was not a great experience to watch. It was very frustrating. And really towards the end, Maryland kind of ran out, ran out of gas as they tried to make one final push. They played a pretty good second half overall, even though they lost score-wise. But on the whole, even though, like I said, even though we lost score-wise, I, I'll give the second half like a neutral, maybe like a light plus. It was it was pretty good, but they just they could not push it over the top. No, they couldn't push it over the top. Um, let's just run through some of these player stats here on the box score. Bruno Fernando, 5 for 10, 
Two for two from the free throw line. Eight rebounds, 12 points. The double-double streak is now over. Uh, we already talked about him, so we'll just pass over. I thought it was... It wasn't what you need your best player to do, but it's still... He still just makes some plays that keep you in the game. Jalen Smith, 3 for 10, 0 for 2 from 3, 2 for 3 from the free throw line. Five rebounds, all of which were on defense, 8 points, 3 fouls. Another game that left a lot of Maryland fans angry about the way Jalen Smith plays. Um, sadly, I think I'm starting to come to terms with the way that he plays, and it's just not going to change this season. Hopefully it will in the future. Eric Ayala, 0 for 7. 0 for 5 from 3, no free throws, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, of course, no points, a turnover, and a foul. A really bad game for Eric Aiello. I, I, I forgot he was there almost. He was a, such a non-factor in this game. I, I don't know really where he went. He could not make a shot to save his life. And if he maybe scores a couple of points, this game looks different, but he, he kind of ghosted in this one. Yeah, Daryl Morcel, only 15 minutes before the game. One for one on field goals, a rebound, an assist. Four turnovers, three fouls, two points. Not a great game for Morcel. He was benched mostly for the favor of Aaron Wiggins and Anthony Cowan to round at the Maryland starting lineup in 36 minutes. Four for 12 shooting, two for seven from three. Five rebounds, three assists, three turnovers, three fouls, ten points. I hate to say it, but if you want to win a game like this, you just need more from guys like Cowan, Ayala, and Fernando. Yeah, Cowan just was frustrating. Has been frustrating for a while now. Anthony Cowan is supposed to be the leader of the team, and he still, I think, is off the floor and on the floor, really. But his scoring has just taken such a dive recently, and his efficiency. And even if he shot 20, you know, 20 shots a game, made seven or eight of them, at least he's scoring enough points out there. Like, we need him to, but he just, I don't know where what happened to him, really. Yeah, there was a time where he was almost shooting at will. That time's gone. Now he passes it off. It seems like the shots that he used to take, that used to go in, now he passes them to someone else who makes them kind of an interesting theory but that's just the way that I see a lot of these baskets they used to make now he's kind of forced into these end of shot clock situations he's almost forced by his teammates to take bad shots I, I it, don't know really. it's just like give Cowan the ball when we don't know what we're doing I don't know how he's not a bigger part of the game plan so because he's still the best player at creating his own shot on the team I know yeah. some people might throw Eric Ayala out there for that, but I, I still think it's Anthony Cowan, and it just did. I, I don't. It's just not good. It's just not good. That's maybe a good way to put it. Uh, Joshua Tomajic, two minutes in a turnover. He had that one play where it looked like he was going to dunk the ball, which then he walked because a Michigan player kind of like jumped up to, I guess, block his shot, and it made him kind of, I guess, move away from that guy, and then he walked on the play. Uh, Ricky Lindo, 18 minutes, 1 for 2, shooting 0 for 1 from the free throw line, uh, 7 rebounds, an assist, turnover, a foul, 2 points, 
uh, very Ricky Lindo-esque game, gave Maryland all that he has in effort-wise, and that's why he was out there on the floor. Because Fernando wasn't doing it, Jalen Smith wasn't doing it, so Turgeon went to Ricky Lindo, who he seems to, when he gets mad at Jalen Smith or Bruno Fernando, he throws Ricky Lindo out there just to um, break it up, I guess. I already don't. I understand the Ricky Lindo positivity, and I'm part of it. I really like the way he plays. However, in games like this, we're scoring so limited. I I just wish he had some offense. And yeah, I know he scored in this game, but I don't think it's a stretch to figure out what I mean here. In that, whether it's scheme schematically with the coaching staff or his own ability. It's just hard for me to justify putting Ricky Lindo out there for that long when he doesn't score. I would agree with that. Uh, Sorrell Smith, nine minutes, one for three from the field, one of two from deep. No other stats to report. Three points. It was a big three. It put Church within three points of Michigan. And it's kind of what he does. He makes a shot and leaves. Yeah, but he's getting better. I think you can definitely see his improvement this year. Uh, last guy from Maryland is Aaron Wiggins, who had a Really, actually, a really good game. 28 minutes, 5 for 10 shooting, 3 for 6 from deep, 2 free throws, 6 boards, 3 assists, 15 points. Really, I think this is his best game of the season. You can talk all you want about how much of a defensive liability Aaron Wiggins is, but I think he played pretty solid in this game overall. At the end of the day, you got to look at it. Aaron Wiggins made shots that Merrill needed in this game. It's as simple as that. Wiggins' defense has actually improved, I think, quite a bit. The other thing that you knock him, can, oh, I guess he can be knocked for pretty easily, is his dribbling, which I never noticed until this game really has some issues, especially in the middle of the court. I didn't even know that was a brilliant problem until this game. Did you, Mason? A little bit. He just He's a shooter right now. He's a really good offensive player. I, I don't but, really have a problem with it. Every team that's going to make a run needs a guy like Aaron Wiggins. It's just Aaron Wiggins isn't one of those one-and-done guys. See, this is what we're kind of getting bending back to all the way to the beginning of this conversation. If Aaron Wiggins stays in Maryland and gets better, he can be one hell of a player. The same goes for Sorrell Smith, Ricky Lindo, Eric Ayala. Like You can just go down the list of where this team will hopefully be in next year and two years' time. But what's our expectation for right now with what we have? It's kind of this is what we're, this is what at least I was kind of referencing. No, I understood, and I think it's a valid point in that a lot of these guys, like I said, a lot of these guys are unfinished products right now, and right now it's hard to judge where we should be because a lot of us are kind of entranced by the potential this team has collectively, especially if Anthony Cowan stays next year. But I think right now this team is what this ranking says it is. It's, it's somewhere between 20 and 25, and I think we're going to have a big step to finding that out when we play Iowa on Tuesday. Yeah, um, before we get to Iowa, uh, there are a few guys on Michigan that I wanted to get to. The first being Xavier Simpson, who only had 12 points in this game, but what a passer. Xavier Simpson is a perpetually underrated player in the Big Ten, in my opinion. And maybe you should throw his name out there for Big Ten Player of the Year, although I don't 
think it's going to happen because he's not a volume scorer like Anthony Cowan or Carson Edwards is, or it can happen for that matter. But Xavier Simpson's a gifted passer, an efficient scorer, and he really fits his team extremely well. Yeah, I think he fits the whole system there very well. Uh, Charles Matthews, I really like Charles Matthews. I think he's a really good player, 14 points. And then the final guy that we'll talk about here is John Teske, who was one of seven from three, but the one that he hit was really a dagger, which he then had a questionable, I'll give it, celebration to. I'm not a big John Teske fan. No, he, he I don't know what was about him, but I've never really liked him. He just seems so Michigan-y. I'll, I can agree with that. Uh, but overall, Michigan played the better game. Obviously, Maryland gave up another fast start, and really that's what defines this game. But that's where Maryland is as a team. Let's talk about the future here oh, wait, against... Wait, wait. There, wait, there's one more thing I need to talk about that I forgot about. All right. Maryland's horrendous transition defense. Oh, you're talking about the givens, Jordan. Maryland's just, they don't run back. They just... I really hate saying this sometimes. It's just not intense enough. That's it. Loose balls. Ball bounces into the corner. Maryland doesn't run hard. They don't finish strong at the rim. They don't drive the basket. I don't know what that's about, but... I just There's just a list of things with Mark Turgeon that will stay there. You will watch the game and think they just don't play intense enough. They don't change what they're doing in the game. They look lost at certain points. Where was it from the coaching staff or from one of these? I don't, I'm not going to talk about the players. General in college, you really just don't do it. I'm not going to say the players should have done it. I'm going to say the coaching staff needed to point to it and say, okay, what we're used to doing is not going to work today. They're extending their defense out. They're making it so we cannot play our game. Let's hurt them for doing that. Let's say, Anthony, you know, Xavier Simpson or Jordan Poole or whoever's on you wants to follow you beyond the three-point line, blow by him, make them collapse, and then kick it out to the outside shot. And then whoever gets it, I don't care if it's Lindo, I've seen him make him in practice, Morcel, you got to take that shot, and one time we're going to have to make it. Because we need to affect... Michigan to change in this game. See, that specific thing, the extending the defense, killed me because we, as Maryland fans, we all know Anthony Cowan can drive like a maniac. Why were they not cutting him off screens? That could kill them. No one on Michigan was stats enough to keep up with him. It was it it was very frustrating for me. I don't know about you. It, where where is the adjustment? Where is that, honestly, where is that specific adjustment? You have, what was it, six points? Eight minutes into the game. It was four points, eight minutes into the game. Maybe that's a hint that your usual strategy of just playing the game, letting things fall into place, it's a 40-minute game. Maybe for once we don't want to do that. Tell your guys to keep shooting. Tell them to keep playing hard. Tell them whatever your usual thing is. But say, hey guys, let's change this up. Maybe just once. But that's my opinion. 
And I'm not being paid $2.5 million a year to do this. Well, anyway, what I was going to say with transition defense specifically is it's a very simple thing to do. It's three things. It's run to... back. First two guys, run back into the paint. Yes, protect the paint, stop the ball, and then set the defense if it works. Specifically, one person was killing me. It was Eric Ayala was looking at his guy instead of getting back to the paint, and it cost us several baskets. I don't know how – he's a smart player. We know that. I don't know what he was doing. It was so – because he did it every time. I don't know what – I really almost swore there. I don't know what he was doing. I don't know what he saw. It's a very – it's a middle school basketball thing. I, I just don't – All right, maybe, all right. He got we, all know, we all know this because everyone – you're right. It is a very youth basketball kind of concept, so a lot of people know that, but they just I, – I, I really don't know what it is. I, I don't. Uh, before we talk about Iowa, this podcast is also brought to you by Maryland Eurocars. If you're looking for someone to service your European car, look no further than Maryland Eurocars. We have a few Audis in the family and some BMWs at the office, and we take our cars to Christian at Maryland Eurocars. Christian and his team know they're around Audis, BMWs, Mercedes, Bentleys, VWs, and many more makes. Always friendly, courteous, and honest, along with being an extra clean shop. Maryland Eurocars is the best place to take your prized automobile, and they are the most reasonably priced shop in town. Located in Rockville, Maryland, you can reach Maryland Eurocars at 301-217-5831. Ask for Christian at 301-217-5831 and tell them that the Young Terps sent you. Iowa back-to-back buzzer-beater wins over Northwestern and Rutgers. Um, really, uh, honestly, another very well-coached team. Jordan Bohan and Luca Garza, just a solid team, and they've won some games this year. They've lost some games, but these past two games have kind of um changed my mind about the Hawkeyes. Maybe it could be a run kind of season for Iowa. Iowa scores a lot of points. That's the number one thing you should know about them. Iowa scores, I believe, what is 81 points per game, and they last 73. They're the opposite of Iowa football. They play fast and furious. Yeah. As as you mentioned, Iowa has won four straight. They had a miracle win against Rutgers. A miracle win against Northwestern. I don't know how good they actually are, to be honest. I think they're a pretty good team at this point. Um, these last two games, Northwestern and Rutgers, have kind of reminded me of Maryland's 2010 team. A game against like Georgia Tech, and of course, that game against Clemson. Just these games where you just are down, and then you go on these runs. I mean, against Northwestern, I think Jordan Bohannon scored, I think it was 12 points in, I want to say like 90 seconds by himself. And then he hit the buzzer beater. It was just a great game. They played really solid games these past four. They beat Michigan. They beat Indiana. And sure, they had two miracle wins, but at the end of the day, there are games that have been put in the win column. I mean, you are right about that. They do win at the end of the day. Um, Iowa is led by a quartet, the four of which are Tyler Cook, the forward from St. Louis, junior, scores 16 points a game, eight rebounds. The famous 6'11 big man from Washington, D.C., Luke Garza, center, 13 points a game. The one everybody seems to know is Joe Westerkamp, 
freshman from Iowa who scores about 11 per game. And then, of course, Jordan Bohannon, the junior, also from Iowa, 11 points. Those guys are the vast majority of Iowa's production right there on this team. Yeah, um, I like the way Iowa plays. I think come tournament time, they will be making a run deep into my personal bracket if the matchups figure right. For this game, though, um, in the interest of time, I'll just go ahead and give up my prediction. I think Maryland beats Iowa. I think Maryland's defense is really set well to go up against Iowa's offense. I think people underestimate the way Maryland plays on defense. This game will show it. I also think this game will allow Jalen Smith, maybe not Bruno. Bruno's going to have to go up against Garza, but Jalen Smith to get a lot of good opportunities and really ball out especially after a down performance. He's a really up-and-down kind of guy. I think Maryland puts up 80 in this game and wins the game 80-77. to 77. Yeah, Sticks definitely gets a favorable matchup here as he would probably go up against Tyler Cook, the six-line forward from Iowa. What you, see, my response to your you saying that I was going to have a deep tournament run was that oh, Iowa really doesn't play defense very well. They're betting to outscore you most of the time, and against teams like Michigan, Michigan State hasn't always gone perfectly. But, but it be, did. It did go it well. It did once. work against Michigan. Yeah, I was gonna say it did work against Michigan, so I could be wrong. Um, I think if Maryland can stiffen up on defense well, then they can win this game probably by a pretty sizable margin. Um, but I just don't know how it's gonna work out. But this is a huge game. For both teams, and they both try to wrangle both Big Ten positioning and wider pole position. I'll say Maryland wins 82-71. to 71. Yeah, um, it comes down to it. Big game for Maryland. Need that quad win. Quad one. Road win. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Young Terps Podcast. As always, we would like to thank our sponsors, Finer Four Gates in Rockville. If you're looking for someone to take care of IT for your business, Finer Four Gates is the place to go. If you need a website, Finer Four Gates can also take care of that for you. You can reach them at 301-251-2900 or on the web at the number one viner.com. The number one viner.com. Allied Party Rentals from the presidential inauguration to a small luncheon in your backyard. Allied Party Rentals can set up the perfect party for you. You can visit them at alliedpartyrentals.com. And if you're looking for a place to get five-star service on your European car, look no further than Maryland Euro Cars. They're your place to go for Audi, BMW, Mercedes, VW service. Maryland Euro Cars can do that all for you. You can reach them at 301-217-5831 and tell them that the Young Turks sent you. That's going to do it for this podcast. We will be back after Maryland hopefully takes down Iowa at Carver-Hawkeye Tuesday night. So we'll be back on the podcast on Wednesday, win or lose. Make sure to check back then. And as always, thanks for listening.